when you think about expatriation, that's not something that they think about that we would be interested in or even our interest in moving abroad, particularly if you're you're from the United States, becomes political in some nature when it doesn't for people that, you know, aren't melanated, to be quite honest. That was really the genesis of creating Blacks at Global, as well as the realization that I didn't want to have someone define Blacks at Global as, you know, repatriating to the continent of Africa. What happens in between is all about the awkward middle phase of entrepreneurship. You know, after you've taken your first steps, but before you can live off your passion. Join me, Athena, as I learn from other emerging creators about the tactical and emotional methods they use to keep moving forward after the initial excitement of following your dreams meets the reality of following your dreams. Let's get into it. Hi! Welcome back to another episode of What Happens in Between. Today, I'm pumped to have Krishan Wright, who is the founder of Blacksit Global, which is both a platform dedicated to inspiring members of the African diaspora to pursue a life abroad, as well as a, an incredible podcast. Hi, Krishan. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to just start with a bit of background on you and what compelled you to create Blacksit Global. Sure. So my journey is not linear. (laughs) Um, When I was younger, I used to get criticized uh, about that. Usually, like if I was looking for a job and always kind of struggled with articulating what my bigger vision was. But now that I'm older and more seasoned, I think in looking back, everything serves a purpose. So in a nutshell, I spent my first 10 years in politics and then meandered into television, worked in always with a health and human services thread, and then past maybe decade or so have been in digital, well, marketing and digital marketing more specifically. I've always had a thirst for travel And it wasn't until 2017 that I took my first solo trip abroad. I had been abroad before, but not in this capacity and definitely not to some place that I had always wanted to go, which was New Zealand. So that really, you know, kind of all of those journey points, I guess, laid the foundation to where we are today. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you mentioning you know, not being able to really articulate the vision, because I know a lot of the folks who listen to the show are multi-passionate and have all these ideas, but aren't always able to either connect them or, you know, concisely deliver or express what it is they're trying to do. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that in a lot of ways. It's in which that's what I love about your show is that it's oftentimes when you hear people tell their story and and maybe it's just because you're trying to, you know, summarize something that, you know, spans several years into, you know, a soundbite, but kind of overlook all of the hoops and hurdles, if you will, that you've had to encounter along the way. But I think for anyone who's listening 
right now, regardless of where they are in the age spectrum, I think being able to really start to hone in and listen to your inner voice, you know, the internal compass, that won't steer you wrong. And that'll help you quiet, you know, the naysayers or even self-doubt that sometimes creeps in and, and keeps you from your purpose. Yeah, absolutely. So I, that brings me so beautifully to why you, why are you the person who had to create Blackzit Global? Mm, that's a great question. So last year in 2020, I, like many people, were dealing with the fallout of the pandemic. No one went into lockdown with the full visibility of how protracted it would be, regardless really of where you sit in the globe. Mm-hmm. And going into that and then being in the US coupled with everything that was going on on a social level and political level, definitely started to feel like my goals and objectives because I knew I was going to move in 2023 three years at that point felt like 30. And when I think about that, as well as, you know, the horrific events, like the death of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and then ultimately George Floyd, and unfortunately many that have followed, there was definitely feelings of anxiety, depression, that I wasn't really capable of being, I guess, aware of that it was having such a profound effect on me. And I was being becoming very irritable, not being able to sleep. And so really, I got into a dark place. And I realized, well, I was on a call with some friends. And then subsequently, we had another virtual session. And there was a therapist on the phone and uh, had mentioned that, you know, it was PTSD because we were all being inundated with, you know, replays of trauma. You know, anytime you turn on the news, you're seeing the clip over and over again. And it was one at that point that I had a language for what was going on. And two, I was faced with the opportunity to choose. Do I want to continue to grapple with this and kind of succumb? Or do I call upon the things that have worked for me in the past, which is being able to turn a negative into a positive and I needed to redirect my energy. And so I knew I had, I was planning on moving abroad. I wanted to do my black sit and I figured, okay, you know what? I'm feeling this way. Maybe other people are feeling this way that they're feeling either trapped, stuck, wanting to leave, not sure if they want to leave, how to do it, where to go. And that really was the impetus for the platform. And then subsequently the podcast to really highlight and articulate these stories that are often underrepresented because when you look at some countries and you do a Google search, Black people don't come up (laughs) or You know, you have to think about when you think about expatriation, that's not something that they think about that we would be interested in or even our interest in moving abroad. 
particularly if you're, if you're from the United States, becomes political in some nature when it doesn't for people that you know aren't melanated, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was really the genesis of creating Blacks at Global, as well as the realization that I didn't want to have someone define, you know, Blacks it or Blacks at Global as, you know, repatriating to the continent of Africa. It's not to say that that isn't what a lot of people do or some people do. It's to recognize that as members of the African diaspora, our spores have been sprinkled all over this earth. So there is no place we can't inhabit or shouldn't. And so we have to follow where we are affirmed and what speaks to your heart and really what checks the box in terms of the whatever personal criteria you come up with. But you shouldn't feel that you're any obligation to stay in America, nor should you feel an obligation to journey anywhere else that doesn't speak to your heart. So that's why it's called Black Sit Global because I want to highlight people who are from, you know, Canada, Black people living in Canada that may, well, one friend in particular who's living in Germany or a woman that I had on the podcast that is from Jamaica who's now living in Italy. And so it wasn't just to highlight stories of Black Americans, it's to showcase that as members of the diaspora, our stories are embedded in many societies, if not all societies, and we need to embrace that. Wow, there's a lot of great nuggets that you just put into that. One of the first things that came to mind for me is almost that you creating Blacksit Global is an act of generosity in some ways. And I think about that from the perspective of those business coaches who say things like, if you're hiding your gift, you're being selfish, or it's actually generous to start your business because somebody needs what you are capable of giving them. But I want to bring this back to what you said earlier, which is that as you've had more experience, you've realized that everything happens for a reason. And I would love to know what in your past, not just necessarily one thing, but what in your past do you look back on and say, oh yeah, this this was always going to happen? Oh, that's a great question. So I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the Bronx in Co-op City, which is a huge, huge, actually the largest cooperative development in the world. And it was a great time where I grew, when I grew up. And Interestingly enough, at that time, I was very bookish. And for whatever reason, you know, this young Black girl in the Bronx was obsessed with living in New Zealand. And so I used to journal about when I turned 26, I want to be a corporate lawyer living in New Zealand. I had never been out of really New York (laughs) at that point Mm -hmm. in my life. But I felt this calling at a very young age. I mean, I wasn't even in high school when I was having these feelings. And then ultimately, when I went to college, I worked full time and went to school full time. I didn't do spring break and all of the things that I guess, you know, are normal journey steps that, you know, young people take. 
and didn't even think about going abroad. It became one of those things that I guess went into the back recesses of my mind. And then when I graduated from grad school and I had my son and I had journeyed to to Canada with his father and it was like, oh, wow, this is different, you know? And that was really like my first real taste outside of the US. And, you know, as we know, it's very similar in, in many ways, except for a few different pronunciations of words. But it was different enough. It was familiar yet different enough, right? To make me want to go. And for a variety of reasons that didn't come to pass. But ultimately, when George W. Bush became president, and again, I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that I had a background in politics, Mm -hmm. I started to see things shift in a direction. And that was the decision point. And I got my first passport as well as a passport for my son, because I said, if anything jumps off, I want to be able to get up out of America. But then, as I said, you know, I've I've traveled, you know, outside the U.S. When I was, you know, married, we did a couple, you know, like a cruise. That was really it, aside from trips to Canada. Um, But that longing of wanting to go and be abroad was something that was there, but still felt so, so far off in the distance. And so when it finally came to fruition in 2017 was when I went to New Zealand in January of 2017. But when I made that decision in 2016, I distinctly remember it was July and I was at the Jersey Shore and I'd been divorced for many years at that point, maybe like six or seven. And in my mind, and it's very interesting, the stories we tell ourselves, it was like, oh, you know, when I find a boo, maybe I'll do this and that. And it was at that point I was, walking along the beach, you know, just having quiet thoughts. And it occurred to me, like, I'm the hero in my story, (laughs) you know, like, why can't I do this? Why can't I be the hero of my story? It's something I always wanted to do. And I got in my car to drive home and open up my laptop and I bought the ticket. And, you know, I thought at that point I had wanted to go to Australia and, that was one of the places that I had wanted to go. And then when I sat down, it just instinctively, I selected New Zealand because I guess, you know, and my subconscious was like, Hey, let's do this, but let's go to a place that's always been in your heart. So it was on that trip that was very transformational in many ways, not only because it was my first solo trip, but also because it was a lifelong dream, so much so that on my last day, I was just (laughs) bawling like a baby. I think one, because I realized I had actually accomplished it. And two, it was just so many things about myself that I learned on that trip. And And I allowed myself to embrace things that were uncomfortable, you know, leaving my children in the United States while I journey for two weeks, <laughs> you know, and on the opposite side of the world and things like that. So it always is near and dear to my heart, so much so that I, I made another journey to New Zealand actually right before lockdown. But 
it really is a, a special, it's definitely a special place. Absolutely. Uh, the people who created Flight of the Concords are from New Zealand, so I have a lot of respect for that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place, and I wound up going on that trip, the first trip to uh, was the Lord of the Rings. Uh, oh yeah, the the tour, which was great. Awesome. So you mentioned that you're well, also all over your website. It's clear that you're still in the preparation phase of moving, and you mentioned a few minutes ago that it's around 2023 yes. was your original plan. Is that still in place 2023? Yes. Cause that's when my youngest graduates high school. So that is it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how does it feel to have a goal? I'll speak for myself, I guess three years from the current stance that I'm in feels very far away. I guess it's only two years now, but how have you been interacting with the distance between when you can take action and where you are currently? Mm. I am by nature an introvert. Mm. So I spend a lot of time in my head and I'm also a forward thinker. And one of my opportunity areas is to be more grounded in the present. So it's, that has been beneficial to me in some ways because I'm really good at playing the long game and making sure that I have little things in between to help me, give me something to look forward to. So when I set out to finally move abroad, that was really coming off of that trip in 2017. And now we're in 2021 and I'm still two years away. But, you know, I've had multiple, I mean, we're not for the pandemic. I I would have been doing a lot of globe trotting and I've done a lot of globe trotting since then, you know, between 2017 and 2020. So I think it's, Definitely having those things in between that give you something to hang on to. And as I mentioned, when I, when I started Blacks of Global, those at that point, the three years seemed like an eternity and, and almost like an impossibility to now, you know, I'm looking at the calendar and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, before you know it, we'll be halfway through this year. And this time next year, I'll only be a year away right. from my goal. And that's exciting. You know, it's exciting because I realize when I think back, even what I was doing two, three years ago, it seems like yesterday, really. So uh, I'm, I'm excited, not yet nervous, but it, it's like, okay, Krishan, you have a lot to get done. Right, right. <laughs> you know it, it'll be time to move. Yeah, Absolutely. I would love to touch a little bit on the sacrifice that, well, I don't know if it's a sacrifice. It's, a, it's trade-offs, right, mm-hmm. uh, that come f- from living abroad. You have a family. I'm not sure if your parents are still in this earthly realm, but you have potentially your parents cousins, aunts that you love and care for, as well as your children, and moving away from the country that they live in 
I can't imagine is a very easy choice to make. And I would love to know how, how you have dealt with this, this trade-off or how you're preparing yourself to, to deal with this trade-off. Mm. Well, I think because I started on this so long ago, mm-hmm. I had time to mentally think through a variety of scenarios and scenarios in how it would affect my interpersonal relationships, also scenarios in terms of where in the world I would want to plant myself and what that would mean. But ultimately, I got to a point where the benefit of time and also the benefit of this pause, if you will, with the pandemic has allowed for these conversations to happen so that people can get comfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need anyone's permission. I talked to my mom and she was very resistant at first and definitely everything that's happened in the past, you know, year, year and a half has shown her that this is the right decision for me and many other people. But I think when it, as it relates to my children, me as a parent, by default, I'm very independent and I feel as though I've, I've nurtured my children and cultivated this desire within them to be independent. But whether they are or not, I think at the end of the day, I respect their decisions as adults and that I may have, you know, or their father or themselves, right? I may lay out a path, but they have to ultimately walk that path. And I've learned more from my challenges slash failures than I have from my successes. But what I also learned is when I'm trying to emulate someone else's playbook or live by somebody else's design of what my life should be, I'm not in alignment. I'm not authentic. And ultimately I have to deal with the outcome. So when I've been true to myself and stepped out on faith, kind of quiet the naysayers and get that clarity that's been always to my advantage. So while there are aspects of my life that I'll naturally miss, the reality of it is, is with the benefit of technology and all of these other things, I feel like I can be as connected to my family as I am currently. You know, I have a very, very large extended family and my mother's one of 12. My father was one of seven. I have, I counted the other day, like 40 some first cousins mm. and we all keep in contact, you know, whether it's texting or through social media. So those things aren't going to change. So I'm not feeling, and it's also like, I'm never coming back. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. I will say I have adjusted and it's still TBD. I've, I've still, I've adjusted to some degree parts of my move so that I can be a little closer to the States, at least for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
And that is because recognizing that my mother's older, my daughter will be in college and kind of feeling like I need to be, you know, not on the other side where it takes me, you know, 28 hours plus to get back to this part of the country. So I feel like at least for me to get, I don't know, a pulse on how things are going, that feels right to me. So that's where I would say from where I was when I started this platform to where I am now, that's been the biggest adjustment, but nothing that is like, oh, wow, you know, that sucks. It's just like, oh, wow, you know what? I hadn't thought of this country. I hadn't thought about this as an opportunity. You know, it's exciting to lean in and then also kind of weave in other destination points. So Yeah, I appreciate your candor with that answer. Where are you going first? I think where I'm going first is Costa Rica. That's been a new one. And it was not on my radar, to be honest. It actually got on my radar through my podcast. And having these conversations and then, you know, kind of doing a little bit of research in terms of proximity to the U.S. and, you know, the favorability and expat population and things like that. So, and really, I think what, what the tipping point for me was this, the blue zones and the mm-hmm. lifestyle of like, I gravitate to, and I flourish when I travel in countries that have a deep respect for nature yeah. and the land and that those things really ring true to me. That is where I found my a lot of part, uh, a big part of who I am when I went to New Zealand. Like I, <laughs> I was telling my mother the other day, I was like, I actually hug trees <laughs> New Zealand, and I'm not a tree hugger. I've never done, I had never done that before. And I was in a forest and I'm like hugging, literally put my arm around trees. And so I'm excited. I've not been to Costa Rica yet. And uh, it's actually on my radar for this year because it's, a COVID in terms of travel friendly in terms of accessibility in and out. So uh, I am looking forward to, to journeying there and just getting a lay of the land. You know, I have the benefit of having two extra years. So for me, that'll be this year will be my like exploratory, if you will. And then I think as I look to 2022, I think there will be less focus on recreational travel and more intentional longer stays to make sure that it feels right. Yeah, I love that. So switching gears. Sure. How are you going to make income while you're in Costa Rica? (laughs) That's a great question. So I have a, a few ways I have, I launched earlier this year, my podcast marketing course. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I was a digital, I am a digital marketer by profession. And so one of the questions that gets asked of me is like, wow, how did that Black's the Global, you know, get all of this attention off the bat and, you know, the focus on, you know, the brand and, you know, the look and feel and the consistency is largely because I am a marketer. Mm-hmm. And I do everything myself. Well, now I'm starting to (laughs) get people to help a little bit. Uh, But I am 
largely doing it myself. And so I wanted to at least share with people because I believe, you know, not only is podcasting exploding, but I think everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has something that they want to offer and some level of creativity, but most importantly, a voice that needs to be heard. And so if there's skills and expertise that I think can help other people crack the code and get to, you know, whatever they deem as success or whatever that benchmark is for them faster, I'm happy to to share that. So I see that as being part of it. And so I've been able to monetize the show in the platform to some degree. But at the same time, because my runway to my move is long, I've been saving to that end and maybe in a position, I I thankfully have multiple pathways. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) To my my move and have been deliberate and intentional with building a, a team of people to help guide me so that when I'm at certain stages of my life that things kind of trigger at at that point, because, you know, I'm not a millennial. (laughs) I'm on the in-between. So I always joke when I have on the show is like some countries I'm too old for a work visa and too young for a retirement visa. I'm kind of like in-between. So maybe maybe, uh, the powers that be will create some type of scheme for the (laughs) in-betweeners. Then I think my system will work just fine. Yeah, absolutely. I like what you were saying about number one, having giving yourself a long enough runway, or I guess the circumstances led to a long enough runway that you can build things. I also like what you had to say about you know building out a team. It it all brings me to sort of you're building a lifestyle business. And by that, I mean, you're not trying to necessarily make Blacks at Global something that takes up 90 hours of your week. It's not necessarily trying to scale to a million or several hundred million dollars type of thing. You're trying to build a a situation that allows you to live as well as do work. Absolutely. I think I will be, I think I'm more nomadic in nature in terms of my look ahead, right? My forward. But how I've built this is, and my mother always says this, and she says it's something my grandmother used to say when she was alive, is like start out in a way you can hold out. Ah. So for me, when I decided to create the podcast and I looked at the landscape, there are shows that go, they publish every day, you know, the John Lee Dumas's of the world to, you know, twice a week, like a Jenna Kutcher to weekly, which is usually most people. Mm -hmm. And I knew bi-weekly was going to be (laughs) (laughs) what was going to work best for my life and ultimately seasons where, you know, I release 10 or 11 episodes and then, you know, we go on hiatus and I record a batch record. And then uh, I release those episodes at a later date. 
And that's largely because I have a life, I have children. I also have a platform with thousands of people who have you know, questions, you know, I'll get calls or text messages and I'm very involved. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the sacrifice it is, it's a time commitment. And for me, I've had to be aware of the level of commitment in terms of making sure that things stay balanced and so that I don't swing the pendulum so much in one direction where I'm so hyper-focused on Black Sick Global that other things in my life start to get less attention, that there's always a balance because I have a daughter I need to get through high school and on to college. I have an old aging parent. You know, there are things that I need to be grounded in and as well as my own journey. And so recognizing that I needed to create some, especially in the midst of a pandemic, right, where we can't quite connect, the blessing has been that I've had these wonderful connections. So, for example, my moderator, Victoria, lives in Italy, and I have now this year an editor for my show, Max, and you know, I have a, a bookkeeper. And so building out this virtual team has enabled me to really create the structure that then will support me when I do make the transition and always with the mind's eye of maintaining balance. Because if I tip it in too far in one direction, which I did, definitely, and I, I felt the, <laughs> the negative effects of that, but it helped me recognize that when I'm depleted, I can't show up as my best self. And I want to show up as my best as my best self. So if that means, you know, not doing programming for a month or, you know, uh, like this year, I'm taking a slightly longer hiatus, still 10 episodes each. But I think the last time was like six weeks in between. This one, I think, is eight weeks in between. There's no fear about drop off or anything like that. I think as long as your message is solid, your intention is there, your communication is clear to the people that you want to reach, people are used to that. And as long as you set the level of expectation, you'll be okay. Yeah. Well, first, I want to say that you poked my spirit a little when you said, I have a life. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> However, I, I really, I mean, I've said it a lot this episode, but I do really appreciate what you're saying because I think, number one, people tend to have an imagined collective in their mind that sets expectations for them, right? And they believe that they need to show up on Instagram every single day. They believe that they have to make it a weekly podcast or biweekly, or it has to be 90 minutes of full value, packed, you know. But in reality, if you just set the expectations, right, you let everyone know exactly what they can expect, then you won't disappoint people. So you can set the expectations in a way that is sustainable for you in, in the long game. And then you're not going to disappoint anyone because you can show up consistently. 
And that doesn't mean every day. It just means in the long, in the long run. Absolutely. You can't pour from an empty cup. And that was, you know, I had to think about it in terms of right now we're in the pandemic. I'm home and I have, you know, and all of my guests are in different parts of the world and things like that. I could be recording all the time, but I never want my show to become a chore. And when that happens, because for me, I have to enjoy and have fun with the things that I do, because when I have fun, I bring my best self to the table. And when it becomes a chore, then it's less fun. And even though I love producing my show and I was editing everything in season one, as I started to get to the end of season one, I knew I was going to be launching a course, which takes a lot of time. Mm. And I was already recording season two. And I realized I was like, you know what? I love the show, but I hate editing. (laughs) Time suck. And then I said, okay, what is the thing that I'm going to let go? And getting comfortable with that, right? Someone else's ear, not my own who might let an uh or or a pause go a little longer or whatever it is, right? Mm. I lose that level of artistic direction to some degree. I mean, my editor is fantastic. We've had conversations. We're on the same page and it has been a blessing. But I guess it gets back to what you were saying about these stories we tell ourselves or expectations that we have in our head And I had to liken it to television, you know? I mean, I have, I think we're Black Global, we're at 10,000 downloads. Congrats. Thank you. And I think I'm, what, seven or eight months in. And that's even with, you know, having hiatus and taking, you know, two weeks between episodes and all of that jazz. But I guess the closest comparison would be television, You know, they have millions of people watching these shows and some shows will go for a year and then they come back on like The Handmaid's Tale. I think the last time I saw Handmaid's Tale was sometime in 2019. Right. (laughs) And it's coming back and I'm like, oh, I can't wait, you know, or a show that goes in this, you know, spring hiatus. A lot of the shows are starting to wind down and then they'll be back in the fall. And yes, there will be some drop off, probably, you know, move into a different time slot, whatever the case may be, but it's to let everyone on that production needs time. The writers, the runners, the actors, the lighting crew, like everyone. And so I had to think about it. And like I said, like how my grandmother used to say, start out in a way you can hold out. And now as I start to even think about season three and the stories and the people who I want to have featured, I'm able to give myself that headspace that if I was going on that hamster wheel, and that's one of the reasons why I teach batch recording, allows me to like kind of move people around, making sure the stories kind of, you know, what's the story arc? Am I spending too much time in one particular topic or area. It just allows me to have a more strategic outlook for the show while also, and that's the benefit of the group, 
having that real-time dialogue with my community to understand what it is that they want. Because ultimately, yes, it is me talking to these people and getting to know their story and hopefully articulating and giving people something to hold on to, to inspire their own journey. But it's also me serving up the kind of content and answering or exploring the questions that they themselves want to answer. I think what makes Lexa Global popular is that I'm not out of the US yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting where most of my community is and asking the questions of how'd you find a job or what made you choose this country or how do you support yourself and everything like that. It's not that distance of, oh, I've been abroad four or five years and hey, just do it. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Absolutely. So will, will that change when I go and I'm one of those expats? I don't know, but I also don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to make sure that I stay connected and engaged and and continue to inspire. That's really what's important to me. Yeah, absolutely. In that way, the the theme of our shows is very similar. I like to think about it as myself and the listener are holding hands, <laughs> listening mm-hmm. to, you know, and even sometimes the guest is as well. And we're all just walking together, trying to get where we're trying to get. <laughs> Cacao. Now it's time for the seedling round where short questions lead to tasty answers. How do you measure time? Hmm. I try not to, although this year I have a wall calendar for the first time. <laughs> and every morning I start Xing it off. I think because I have two, two years and I'm like, all right, one more day down. <laughs> right. What is your relationship to fear? Ooh, that's a great one. You know, they have that uh, acronym, what's it? Face everything and run, face everything and rise. I feel like for me, that definition is facing expectation and reality. Oh, oh, I love that. (laughs) Thank you. And what drives growth for you? Mm, That's a great question. I think being able to be open allows for growth. It's looking at the parts that are beautiful and the parts that, for whatever reason, you might want to hide, but they're also equally beautiful. Mm. Cacao, that ends the seedling round. I like to conclude the show on two notes. First, what is your greatest ambition? Hmm. My greatest personal ambition is to learn to embrace being more connected with my emotions. That is something that for this season of my life, a lot of times I'm spending, uh, I guess maybe because of the pandemic, time and reflection. And that's one of the areas that I think in my journey that I've overlooked. And it's something that I'm kind of nervous about, 
but also knowing that it's necessary for growth. And what is the question of the week? Mm, the question of the week? I think the question of the week is, for me, the question of the week is how. Okay. How? Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I think when you spend, it's interesting, when you spend so much time doing something that has worked for you, and then now you're trying to either learn a new skill or undo that habit, that is a huge challenge. And so I guess figuring out where to start and how to start is something that is my biggest question, I would say. Yeah. Well, thank you, Krishan, so much for being on the show. Where can people connect with you? Well, you can find me wherever you listen to podcasts, Blacksit Global. And you can find me at blacksitglobal.com or my website, krishanwright.com. Awesome. And folks, thank you very much for your ears. As always, I appreciate it. You can follow me at What Happens In Between on Instagram. You can check out the website, which is going to be linked in the show notes. And also be sure to sign up for the newsletter. Not only will you, oh God, (laughs) happens every time, baby. No worries. (laughs) Be sure to sign up for the newsletter. You'll get updates about when each week's episode is out, as well as the lovely process pullover that's built and designed to help you change your behavior so you start doing the things you say you want to do in the easiest way possible. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review, and show Krishan some love on the socials and the website and the show. Bye-bye.